Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is your midweek Bible study. Today is Wednesday, March 1st. Well, folks, believe it or not, we have reached the end of our study with today's lesson. 2 Corinthians has been an amazing journey. In fact, we started this last September, but if you go back to last June, that's when we began 1 Corinthians. So for about 10 months now, we've been studying this incredible set of letters from the Apostle Paul, and I hope you've enjoyed this time. I hope it stretched you. I hope it has challenged you to grow. It certainly has for me. And I'm excited to be able to share this final message as we're going to study today, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 14. And we'll be talking about Paul's final advice and greetings. Lots to get to today. But before we do, we always start with a word of prayer. So join me in that right now. Gracious Heavenly Father, most almighty God, Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for the grace we have been given through the sacrifice of your son. Lord, thank you for thinking of us first. Lord, I just pray that our lives will be a reflection of joy and hope and peace and obedience to you. Thank you for giving us your holy word that we can study. This has been an amazing journey through both 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Lord, teach us today the truth in this final chapter. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. All right, let's get started, shall we? Open up your Bible or Bible app to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and follow along as I read. This is the third time I'm coming to visit you, Paul said. And as the scriptures say, the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have already warned those who had been sinning when I was there on my second visit. Now I again warn them and all others, just as I did before, that next time I will not spare them. I will give you all the proof you want that Christ speaks through me. Christ is not weak when he deals with you. He is powerful among you. Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We too are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and will have God's power. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you failed the test of genuine faith. As you test yourselves, I hope you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. We pray to God that you will not do what is wrong by refusing our correction. I hope we won't need to demonstrate our authority when we arrive. Do the right thing before we come even if it makes it look like we have failed to demonstrate our authority. For we cannot oppose the truth, but must always stand for truth. We are glad to seem weak if it helps show that you are actually strong. We pray that you will become mature. I'm writing this to you before I come, hoping that I won't need to deal severely with you when I do come. For I want to use the authority the Lord has given me to strengthen you, not tear you down. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words, be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All of God's people here send you their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said, Amen. What a wonderful last chapter. All right, let's unpack these verses. Let's start off with verses one and two, shall we? Again, they read, This is the third time I'm coming to visit you, and as the scriptures say, 
The facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I had already warned those who had been sinning when I was there on my second visit. Now I again warn them and all others, just as I did before, that the next time I will not spare them. Here's the question. Paul states once again that he's coming for a third visit. He also issues a warning to those who have not stopped sinning. In verse 1, what Old Testament scripture is Paul referring to? And at the end of verse 2, what does he mean that he won't spare those when he arrives? The Old Testament verse Paul is quoting from is Deuteronomy 19.15, and it's a stern legal summons to the Corinthians. In fact, Deuteronomy 19.15 reads, You must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Throughout 2 Corinthians, Paul has explained and defended his actions. Finally, here at the end of his letter, Paul stopped defending himself and directly confronted the Corinthians. He wasn't coming to them in a timid manner as he had before. He would not merely issue warnings. Instead, he would exercise his apostolic authority in full measure. Now, commentators today remain divided over the reason Paul used Deuteronomy 19.15, but there are many speculations. I think based on what I've read, Paul may have quoted this verse because he had already given them three warnings and they could bring disputes before him with three witnesses. And I think Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18, 15 through 17 supports these reasons as well. Jesus had instructed his disciples to confront a fellow Christian with three warnings, one in private, one with two other witnesses, and one in front of the church. There were to be not only three different witnesses before anyone could pass judgment on a believer, but also three separate occasions when the believer was to be warned of his or her sin. Next up, verse 3. It reads, I will give you all the proof you want that Christ speaks through me. Christ is not weak when he deals with you. He is powerful among you. Here's the question. In this verse, Paul tells the Corinthians he'll give them all the proof they need. What does he mean? The Corinthians have been looking for proof that Christ genuinely speaks through Paul as his apostle. Paul says that they will get proof when they see how powerfully Christ acts to discipline their sinfulness. Even if they think Paul is a weak person, they should not think Christ will be weak when judging their lack of repentance of sin. They will see that Christ is indeed powerful. It's also important to note that Paul is not threatening them nor promising any particular result. And the Corinthians would have known that there were instances in the early church where God issued severe punishment. I found several in Acts 5 verses 1 to 11 and chapter 13 verses 8 through 11. At the very least, Paul is being deadly serious in the warning of consequences for those who lack repentance for sin. That message was true then, and it sure is true today. Let's look at verse 4. It reads, Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We too are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and will have God's power. The question here is simply, what is Paul warning the Corinthians about? Paul is now warning the believers in Corinth that when he comes to visit them again, anyone who remains in unrepentant sin will not be spared from judgment by Christ. He adds here that Christ too was weak when he was crucified for sin, but after Christ was raised, he clarified his unimaginable power. Paul is also saying that he may have been weak when he was with them in the past in a Christ-like way, but when he comes to visit them this time, it will be to deal with them in the Christ-like power of God. In other words, 
The Corinthian church should not expect Paul to seem weak or feeble at his next visit. He'll be judging them in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 5 next. It reads, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you failed the test of genuine faith. Here's the question. Here Paul tells the Corinthians to examine themselves, to test themselves. What does he mean? Given that this letter was meant for a broad audience, though directed to a particular church, part of the meaning here is a question of salvation. To examine or to test oneself spiritually includes an honest look at whether one is a true believer in Jesus. Along with that, it calls Christians to examine the details and results of their faith to see if it's according to the truth. It would involve scrutinizing one's own conduct to see how or if they follow through on the will of God for their lives. In short, Paul is asking them to see if Christ is truly in them. Do they still believe what they believed when Paul first introduced them to Jesus? Or will they find that their trust has been in someone or something else? Next up, verse 6. It says, As you test yourselves, I hope you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. The question here is, Paul makes an assumption here about the results of the Corinthians' examination or testing of themselves. What is it? In this context, he apparently assumes the answer will be that Christ is truly living in them, despite their flaws and errors. If that's their answer, Paul and his associates will have passed the test as well. That would imply that they are genuinely representing Christ. Paul is the one who introduced them to Christ. We've been saying that all along. If Christ is real and genuine to them and in them, they must acknowledge that Christ is also in Paul, speaking through him. But the logic of that relationship continues. If Christ is speaking through Paul, the Corinthian believers must prepare to be judged by Christ through Paul for any unrepentant sin in their lives. They've got to acknowledge Paul's authority as an apostle. Another layer of meaning here would be that if Christ is truly in them, the Corinthians should know to repent of sin and move away from it in order to avoid Christ's discipline through Paul. Next up, verses 7 and 8. They read, We pray to God that you will not do what is wrong by refusing our correction. I hope we won't need to demonstrate our authority when we arrive. Do the right thing before we come, even if it makes it look like we have failed to demonstrate our authority, for we cannot oppose the truth, but must always stand for the truth. Here's the question. Based on these two verses, what is Paul's overall concern for the Corinthians? Paul and his associates prayed to God that the Corinthians would not do wrong. He wants them to repent from any ongoing sin in their lives and turn back to true devotion to Christ. Doing so would be evidence of legitimate faith in Jesus and prove of his true standing as an apostle of Christ. If they believe in the true gospel, then the one who introduced them to Christ must also be true to his teachings. However, Paul is not primarily concerned with appearance. The main issue for Paul is not how their good behavior makes him look to the outside world. He wants them to do what is right because it's right, because it's the best for them, and because that will encourage Paul to know they really are faithful. He adds that he and his co-workers cannot change their presentation of the gospel in order to look good in the eyes of others. They cannot and will not do anything contrary to the truth. Jesus declared himself to be the truth, John 14, 6. So in serving Christ, they serve the truth in all cases all the time, whether it fits into cultural norms or the expectations of others. Next up, verse 9. 
It reads, we are glad to seem weak if it helps show that you are actually strong. We pray that you will become mature. The question is, what is Paul's desire for the Corinthians as expressed in this verse? You know, parents will make great sacrifices for their children's welfare. So Paul didn't hesitate to make sacrifices for the Corinthians. He wanted them to grow in the faith. He wanted them to become strong Christians and be restored to maturity. And if he had to exhaust himself, if he had to deplete his own resources and appear weak, then he would do it for their sakes. It was always about the Lord and was always about the people. How cool is that? All right, next up, verse 10. I am writing this to you before I come, hoping that I won't need to deal severely with you when I do come. For I want to use the authority the Lord has given me to strengthen you, not tear you down. The question is, before turning to his closing words, Paul sums up the purpose for this letter to the church in Corinth with this particular verse. How would you summarize that purpose? Paul has written everything for their good and to build them up, not to tear them down. More urgently, he seeks to convince them to repent of sin before he arrives. That way, he will not need to be severe in judging and disciplining those who remain unrepentant of ongoing sin choices. Despite charges against him by false apostles and other critics, Paul asserts once more that he is truly an apostle, given valid authority to act on Christ's behalf when he's with them. He warned that acting on this authority, he will spare no one who is still following sinful ways when he arrives. They will see that in Christ, Paul can be as harsh as necessary to hold them accountable for betraying their devotion to Christ. This too is meant for their good. Even if severe discipline is required, Paul makes it clear his purpose will not be to dole out ruin and misery. As God does for all who are in Christ, Paul will only act to benefit them, even if that requires some temporary pain on his part. It's also very clear that Paul does not want a severe confrontation with the believers in Corinth. It's not something he wants to be forced into. He truly hopes that everyone will repent so that their time together can be pleasant and enjoyable for everyone. Now, in these remaining verses we're going to talk about, 11 through 14, Paul will turn his attention to some final greetings. So let's look at that. Verse 11, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. Then the love of God and peace will be with you. The question is, what does Paul want the Corinthian believers to do according to this verse? Paul wanted these believers to be able to rejoice. Then he said they must change their ways. Foremost in Paul's mind was that the Corinthian church leaders would take charge by disciplining the unrepentant, silencing the false teachers in their congregation, and restoring the repentant, to the church fellowship. Paul knew that the false teachers had caused disunity in that church, but he also knew that the church needed to encourage one another instead. He was encouraging them to seek opportunities to build each other up in the faith. With his brief commands to live in harmony and peace, this verse sums up Paul's exhortations in his earlier letter to the Corinthians to unite as one congregation. They were to put their disputes aside and join together under Christ's leadership to advance his kingdom. Next, verse 12, it says, Greet each other with a sacred kiss. Some of your Bible translations would say, Greet each other with a holy kiss. What is a sacred kiss, and why did Paul say the Corinthians should greet each other in this way? During Paul's time, a quick kiss on either one or both cheeks was a common greeting between friends and family. In some cultures, even in the modern world today, brief kisses on the cheek 
are still used as a friendly, non-romantic greeting. Early Christians formalized this style of greeting as a sacred expression of the family bond between believers and Jesus. Paul regularly encouraged this practice. I found references in 1 Thessalonians 5.26, Romans 16.16, and 1 Corinthians 16.20. Perhaps in part, Paul felt that the sacred kiss would promote unity between the Corinthians. It must be more difficult to stay resentful and divided from other believers while regularly using a family style of greeting. Such kisses would, at least, give a physical expression to their needed unity, mutual encouragement, and forgiveness. Verse 13 is next, and it says, All of God's people here send you their greetings. The question is, who is Paul referring to in this verse? Who are all of those people that Paul's talking about? The believers Paul has in mind are those in the region of Macedonia. Remember, he's staying there while he's writing this letter. This would include also churches in the towns of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And now the final verse that closes out our study in 2 Corinthians. Verse 14 says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The question is, this closing, or benediction as it were, is different from Paul's other closings, the way he closes out his other letters. How so? This is the only one of Paul's benedictions to specifically reference all three members of the Trinity. He describes each member of the Godhead as the source of one aspect of his prayer of blessing for them. First, Paul prays for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with them. The grace of God is possible only through faith in Christ, and because of Christ's substitution for us in his death for our sin on the cross, Paul also identifies Christ as Lord. Next, he prays for the love of God for the Corinthians. God's love for the world is what motivated him in the first place to send Christ to earth to make his grace and forgiveness of sin possible. John 3.16 Finally, Paul prays for the fellowship of the Spirit to be with them. Every person who comes to faith in Christ receives God's Holy Spirit. The Spirit makes it possible for Christians to communicate with the Father and to be in relationship with him while we wait to be with him physically in the glory of eternity. And lastly, Paul prays this for you all. Do you see those words there? And that means every Christian in Corinth who reads or hears as others read this particular letter. His prayer and hope is that they will set aside their divisions, that they'll repent of their sins and be united together as one family in Christ. You know, that is something we need to hear today in our churches today. We need more of that to set aside divisions, to park our attitudes to repent of sin and really be united together as one family in Christ. A great reminder for all of us. Well, folks, we've reached the end of our study. This entire journey through the Corinthian letters, it's ended now. We've been talking about Paul's final advice and greetings. Let me just recap for you briefly. We found today that Paul urged the Corinthians to rejoice, to strive for restoration, and to comfort and encourage one another in like-minded unity. He also assured them that the love of God and peace would be with them, that they are to greet each other with a sacred kiss, and he offered greetings from believers in other churches. And lastly, Paul offered a prayer of specific blessing for them from each of the three members of the Trinity. All right, next week, March 8th, we're not going to meet. I'm going to take that week off as we're preparing for the next Sunday, but I will be back on Wednesday, March 15th, with another study, we're going to begin a brand new series in First and Second Peter. It's going to be an exciting time together. 
Until then, I hope you have an amazing rest of your day and week. God bless you in all the things that you do. May his love and guidance and peace be yours always in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.